The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Next. Crucifixion? Yes. Good. Out of the door, line on the left, one cross each. Jailer, excuse me, there's been some sort of mistake. <laughs> Get a move on, big nose. There's people waiting to be crucified out here. <laughs> Could I see a lawyer or someone? Um, do, do you have a lawyer? No, but I'm a Roman. How about a retrial? We've got plenty of time. Shut up, you miserable bloody Romans. No sense of humour. I'm sorry, a bit of a hurry. Can you go straight up, line on the left, one cross each. I know it's been bright. Thank God you've come, Rich. Uh, yes, well, I think I should point out first, Brian, in all fairness, that we are not, in fact, the rescue committee. And I'd just like to add on a personal note my own admiration for what you're doing for us, Brian, and what must be, after all, for you, a very difficult time. All right, Brian. Give it up, lad. Terrific work, Brian. Right. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, May 20, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into colour, colour into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show once again today, where, as always, the number you can call to reach us is 519-661-3600 or email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. A few people were calling at the end of our show last week, Robert, when we were talking about UFOs, and we're going to give them an opportunity again to call today because... uh, we're going to be able to watch you eat your words in the last half of the show. <laughs> yeah, I did say that I'd never talk about that subject You'd again. You'd never talk about that subject again, but here we are. We're going to be talking about it again in the latter half of the show. So if you have some comments you want to make on that subject, please uh, please call in earlier. Don't leave it till the last minute. And, uh, of course, uh, we talked about UFOs last week and uh, this week. We're just going to continue that discussion a bit, just based on some of the reactions and something that's happened in the meantime as well that I was just informed of just now. But the first subject of the day is going to be, I guess you might say, the Principot, Mark Emery. And if you, uh, if you heard the opening clip this morning, anyone who has seen The Principle of Pot, the YouTube video produced by Paul McKeever, which is available at youtube.com slash Paul McKeever, approaching just short of 10,000 viewings on part one, That's Robert. amazing, yeah. Um, they would, of course, know that uh, Mark was finally extradited. I think some people may have expected us to be talking about this last week because it's happened last week. But we waited to see what kind of uh, response and uh, media reaction there was. And uh, on May 10th, Canadian Justice Minister Rob Nicholson signed the extradition papers of Canadian citizen Mark Emery to the United States for imprisonment as a result of Emery's political activism. And that's basically what they're all saying. He's supposedly going because he sold some pot seeds, but a lot of people are selling pot seeds. Going to hear some interesting things today with regard to that. And uh, I have to thank uh, CJBK Radio last week with uh, Scott Kitching. They had me on for a half hour on uh, each of two days, May 10 and 11, talking about Mark and my relationship with him. And um, we hope to be posting those to our website later on after this show gets posted, so you'll be able to hear uh, some interesting insight on that. But what, what has kind of got me going a bit on the issue is not so much that I'm surprised, I'm disappointed. I talked about in the past how the conservative government, I couldn't see it was how it would be in their interest to extradite someone like Mark Emery. 
And I, I sort of want to, wanted to reflect on what Emery's extradition means to Canadians and on, and on some of the feedback that was just written in the, in the media recently. Uh, first, I guess we should look at the decision itself, Rob Nicholson's decision. And, you know, I have a copy, a written copy of the decision in my hand here. And what's really remarkable is that he has ordered an unconditional surrender to the United States of Mark Emery. And um, even though his lawyer has pleaded that, listen, we made a deal, that this was the deal, ex you know, can you make sure that before you extradite him that this is the deal that he's going to be, uh, you know, sticking to. But they didn't put that in anything under the Extradition Act. Paul McKeever points out that the Extradition Act does prevent justice ministers from deciding to surrender a person where the person is being prosecuted for his political beliefs or conduct. So that's actually in the Act. And yet, if there's anything that there's any evidence about here is that this was a completely political act action on Mark's Emery, on Mark Emery's if part, If I'm not rather. mistaken, wasn't it the DEA itself who actually came out and said that they're arresting him for his political activity? Well, yes, and um, because of his effect on that. And we're going to find out why Mark was so effective, too, as we will hear on our first clip today. But... This is a tragedy, I think, in many respects. Even if you don't smoke pot, even if you don't care about marijuana, and a lot of people don't, this, this uh, extradition is just amazing because in his decision, Nicholson has basically said, yeah, he's considered all the, uh, all the conditions, and he's taken a look at Mark Emery, and he says, uh, he says, yeah, it's perfectly justifiable sending Mark to the States, even though our laws are, are different, even though we would treat him differently here for the same thing. So what does this mean to Canadians, I think? Basically, it means that Canadian citizenship and staying in your own country are no longer protections against the differing laws of other countries. Ironically, the Conservatives are supposedly a, a party that respects Canadian sovereignty and is trying to push it in the north. But uh, in the south, mm. where everybody's living, they don't really care if the Americans come up and arrest us. It's That's a lack right. of sovereignty. And, you know, of course, you might, you might argue ignorance of the law is no excuse, no matter how ignorant the law may be. <laughs> <laughs> or where that law may be to either. You know, plus a whole lot of stuff we could say about Canada's conservative government. I think we're going to save a show on that, but there will be some comments made with regard to that later on. Mark Emery, the activist, I like to say, formerly known as the Prince of Pot, <laughs> has now basically been elevated, I think, to the King of Pot, no longer just the Prince by being extradited. And that was basically the meaning of our opening clip today. Mark has in so many ways, and this is very much the message of the principle of pot, uh, has sacrificed himself on the cross of moral, public, and legal hypocrisy over the marijuana issue and pot laws. And unfortunately, I think much of the core of his message and significance of his extradition seems to be lost on at least the superficial media establishment, or maybe it's just the writers of Sun Media, as Paul McKeever pointed out in, in his blog on May 15, 2010, which is titled Cornies, Corrin, and the Conservatives, All Sun, No Light, in reaction to Mark Emery's being extradited. And um, he points out, though, that the Globe and Mail, unlike the other papers, um, reported a group opposing the Conservatives' decision to extradite Emery occupied the writing office of the Conservative MP James Moore, where a Canadian licensed to use marijuana for medical reasons lawfully rolled joints on his desk in protest. So they were sitting there having a sit-in, legally smoking pot, and the police couldn't do it. Hmm. Uh, Globe Mail apparently has posted a video of the event to the website. But the Sun Media newspaper, Cheney Notes, has totally negative articles running, one, one being from... Uh, um, Michael Corrin, 
who talks just, you know, he calls him a Christian conservative columnist, and he says he took a really lowbrow approach by launching ad hominem attacks on those who use marijuana or those who oppose marijuana prohibition, which would include myself. Um, and he labeled them as pothead, selfish, silly, wrong, foolish, naive, callow, high, indifferent, lazy, underachievers, lacking memory, sexually impotent, confused, having poor judgment, unhealthy, escapist, pompous, self-righteous, and moronic. All these words in one essay about pot users. You're not pompous. Uh, <laughs> And then there, and then he then he criticized uh, Larry Corny's article, which is printed here in the Free Press, and criticized him of removing any of the context that would allow a reader to, to decide why Emery was doing what he did over the last thirty years of Terrible his life article. and activism. Yeah, I want to take a closer look at that one, and I did pick a couple of uh, articles out of the local press. This is the city where Mark Emery's from in London. Uh, Mindell Jacobs, London Free Press, May 11th. Uh, Emery's cause going up in smoke. I don't know why that headline was on there because it didn't seem to be the content of the article. But she says, she writes rather, supporters of Mark Emery may be outraged that the so-called Prince of Pot faces imminent extradition to the U.S., but you've got to wonder if Emery isn't secretly pleased now that Justice Minister Rob Nicholson has given the green light for extradition. Compared to Americans nabbed in drug cases, he's pretty lucky. The Prince of Pot faces a mere five years in jail in exchange for pleading guilty. Americans involved in such drug-related endeavors can spend decades in jail. Even though Emery brought this on his own head, it's worth noting that Nicholson is shipping the Prince of Pot off to the U.S. for behavior that Canada didn't even seem bothered about. Health Canada even recommended that medical pot patients contact Emery for a source of supply. Canada won't be paying the bill to incarcerate em Emery, mind you, unless he's eventually transferred back to a Canadian jail. The bad news is Canadian taxpayers will be paying a lot more to incarcerate people if the Conservatives' latest attempt to bring in mandatory sentences for various drug crime passes. People growing as few as six pot plants, for instance, face six months in jail. Or get this, a minimum of nine months if they're tenants. So apparently being a tenant is a punishable offense under Conservative philosophy, right? So the same act, but if you're a tenant, you get three more months. Amazing. Watch more of your taxes. Go to the unwinnable war on drugs while traffickers get wealthier. Meanwhile, California, America's most populous state, is poised for a fall vote on whether to legalize the adult use and cultivation of pot. That should create quite a buzz, she writes. <laughs> now, you know, she says it's worth noting that Canada didn't, wasn't bothered about this behavior. I'm going, worth noting? That's the whole point. That is the point. That is the whole point. Um, if we have laws in this country, can't we obey them and be subject to the penalties, you know, incorporating them? There's just no question about that. And there's no talking about the injustice of this law in the first place. Uh, you know, we don't care about a Canadian going over to the States. We should care about those poor Americans going to jail for nothing, too. There are trading partners, and, and smoking pot is no worse than drinking alcohol at, in, in, worse, in a worst-case scenario. It's less worse. Well, true, but let's make it a worst-case scenario, okay. just for argument's sake. And then, of course, Larry Corney's writes in the 15th that Mark Emery's pet cause is Mark Emery. Well, and he writes, with a stroke of his pen, Federal Justice Minister Rob Nicholson opened a new chapter in the chaotic life of Vancouver-based Mark Emery. Former Londoner dubbed the Prince of Pot for his marijuana activism. Mm -hmm. Notice it was activism. The Harper government decided Emery would be extradited to the States to begin serving a five-year sentence, the result of a plea bargain, etc., etc., um, he says, Emery has always been a polarizing figure, partly because of the causes he undertook, but also because of his ability to garner attention by shifting the spotlight off issues and on to himself. 
Soon after he left high school to take over a bookshop, he picked a fight with London's Downtown Business Association over an improvement tax that amounted to little more than $30. That's incorrect, by the way. Uh, it would be the start of a staccato political career over the three decades that would see him test his appeal among voters at all levels of government with no fewer than five political parties. Emery opposed London's nascent bid to hold the 1991 Pan Am Games, arguing the city shouldn't be, running in, uh, shouldn't be in the business of running games. He opened his shop in defiance of Sunday shopping laws, for which he spent four days in jail shortly before Sunday shopping in Ontario became legal. Uh, now, there's a lot of inaccuracies here. First, he didn't pick a fight with London's Downtown Business Association as there was no London Downtown Business Association. He was fighting its establishment, and he predicted that that $30 a month that they said they'd be paying there would be thousands by, well, they already are. His prediction came true. Moreover, he went on and, uh, quote, picked fight with uh, maybe another two or three dozen BIAs through the Freedom Party, and it was Freedom Party that was helping here, and beat every one of them. This was the only one that wasn't... I actually, we have participated yes. in that in Hamilton. That's right, and we were, and Mayor Hazel McCallion blamed Freedom Party in the front pages <laughs> of the paper for, for, for delivering an effective message, and yeah. therefore we were changing people's minds, and therefore we should be taken to court. Yep. That's the kind of thinking we have that's in Hazel politics. Yeah, and that's Hazel McCallion. And that's good old Hazel McCallion. And uh, Emory opposed London's bid to the 1991 Pan Am Games. Well, he did more than that. Mark and I, we formed the No Tax for Pan Am Bid Committee, of which we were the two members. We beat the thing. It was again done with Freedom Party. Um, he, you know, he talks about Mark's association with five political parties, but all of his successful and accomplished events were all done with Freedom Party. Yes. And that should be noted, and that's what's noted in the principle of pot, too. He opened his shop in defiance of Sunday shopping laws uh, for, uh, shortly before Sunday shopping in Ontario became legal. Wrong. It was already legal. Um, and, in fact, the government made an exception for bookstores. So Mark could have won, and if it was really about being about Mark Emery, he would have taken his victory and run home with the goods. But that's not what he did. He kept fighting so that every person in Ontario could open their stores on Sundays. And so, so many, so many inaccuracies, and he talks about his, his you know, censorship background. And, uh, but he basically says that, uh, you know, that now that he's achieved a kind of political martyrdom he's long sought for for the sake of cannabis cause, his supporters are planning national and international free Mark Emery protests, which are basically happening this coming Saturday on yes. May 22nd. He is bright, articulate, and committed, but the overriding perception is that most important cause in the mind of Mark Emery is Mark Emery. Well, that's just ridiculous. Um, Mark knows he had to make himself the focal point. How can you say it's not about the issue? They're calling him the principle of pot. Not I, the prince, or the prince of pot, rather. Not the prince of Sunday shopping. Not the prince of whatever. But he's made himself that focus for a reason. I think what uh, he's, he's concentrating on is the fact that Mark Emery uh, has a very big ego. But what he doesn't understand is, uh, first of all, he finds that to be a, a vice. Mm -hmm. you can't, you're, you're allowed to go out there and be a political activist, but you're not allowed to say that, you know, you're the best person doing it. You're the only person doing it. You know, come to me, video me, listen to me, you know. I have a, a throne that I'm sitting on here, and, and I am the Prince of Pop. That, to Larry, is, is a vice. You're not allowed to have an ego. You have to be an altruist. You have to be sacrificed, and, and you have to play the part of a sacrificial lamb. Uh, the thing is that Mark Emery doesn't. Mark Emery has an ego, but get this. Mary, ego is a virtue in all respects. Ego is always a virtue, mm -hmm. and for him to go out there... Uh, Mark, and to say, I am the Prince of Pod, that is a good thing. He's extolling his virtue. Yeah, and that's it's what's his he... ego is what has driven his entire life. 
And that's why it's interesting because I didn't read it at the beginning of his article. He started with a quote from Mark Emery beginning with the words, I am proud. Yes. You know, and you see that a lot. And therefore, that's oh, what he's proud? He's t- that's, what he's, that's what's being actually condemned. That's right. He's and, condemning and I his find, pride. I find a great irony in the fact that he says, well, Mark Emery's taking the, the attention off the issue. Well, why didn't you talk about the issue? You didn't have to write about Mark Emery. I think you can't talk about the issue because they know if they do, they have to support Mark Emery coming back. Well... And freeing that's, him. That's an interesting point. So, with the issue in mind, we have this next clip lined up for you. And believe it or not, um, I don't can't give you a year for this, but I know it's got to be about three years old. This is a National Geographic Explorer, and the title of the uh, episode of National Geographic was Marijuana Nation. And I believe it aired about, I would say, three, three and a half years ago, given the content. So this happened before Mark Emery was uh, busted and extradited. So could, would that have been four years ago, maybe? I think it was actually done in 2008. Two years. Oh, okay, so it's not that old. So here we go, and on the other side, we'll continue the discussion. Marijuana, the devil's harvest, the assassin of youth. Good kids quickly go bad. This was the portrayal of pot for nearly a century. Long touted as the smoke of hell responsible for violent and psychotic behavior, many researchers believe it to be relatively benign yet it remains illicit and demonized in much of the world. Today, marijuana has never been more valuable or potent. Law enforcement fights it. Cannabis clubs flourish, and obsessed agriculturalists are perfecting its botany. Breathe deep. This is not your father's marijuana. Everywhere around the world, this plant has its warriors, people who make a living from it, and activists who believe that criminal marijuana laws are wrong. This is Mark Emery, a.k.a. the Prince of Pot. We are at war with the DEA. We are at war with the U.S. Department of Justice. This is the largest global marijuana march in the world today with 250 cities. We've got possibly 20,000 people here today. He is an internationally famous crusader for pot legalization. We need to have a lot of pot. And we need to have millions and millions of people growing this pot. And we need to be able to make the governments waste lots of money tracking all this pot down so that no matter how much pot they burn, there's still lots of pot. Emery has agreed to take us to a place no television crew has been before. So, Mark, where are we going right now? Well, we're going up uh, to look at the largest indoor marijuana garden I've ever seen in my life. Sam is very candid about what he's doing and what's going on on his property. He has permitted an unusually sophisticated system which I have never seen anywhere else in Canada. $1,750,000 he's spent to develop this. And normally that kind of investment simply isn't possible. Now he knows we're coming because there's a camera on us. Nothing happens on this property without lots of cameras seeing it. It must be Sam. 
In 2001, Canada became the first country to institute a nationwide medical marijuana law. That means that a select group of people can legally grow and use cannabis. Now, I will give you permission to come in, because okay, I have to by order of Health Canada. I will give you permission to enter. Sam Malache okay. is licensed to grow marijuana for himself and two other patients. Not many people have seen this place, huh? No, no. No, not many people at all. <clears throat> we're nice, we're nice. It's okay. Their we're commands nice. are off. <laughs> I smell it already. I haven't seen nothing yet. This room is approximately three weeks in. Whoa. This is my little jungle. This is... This is a little jungle. Quite a hot jungle. <laughs> yes, it is quite a hot jungle. Wow. Malache's grow house is impressive. A glimpse of what an industrialized marijuana operation could look like if it were to become legal. Here, a state-of-the-art hydroponic system fortifies 300 plants, allowing Malache to be a one-man environmental system. Cannabis is a weed. It grows easily in many environments, has few pests, and can quickly reach heights of 20 feet. In just three to four months, a crop can be grown and harvested. They're really beautiful plants. I can honestly say I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> this is a lot of pot for three people, but Malache insists he's manufacturing medicine, so not pot this? to simply get you high. Well, <clears throat> Specifically, he's making THC-laced butter. What you've seen in the plants is here. What that we, I squeezed. <clears throat> that you squeezed. Right. Now, what we do is with this now, as you see, it's in a bud form. Now, that could be considered, you know, a smokable form, right? Yeah. Okay. And from there now, what we do is we take, we take this and we grind it down. How much is this here? This is approximately a half a pound. Okay. And what we'll do after is we grind it. And this is approximately a pound. Once it's steamed and cured, this is what comes out. No leaf, no powder, just straight old butter. And from the butter, we end up making cookies, different types. There's butterscotch, different types of granola bars. This is pure organic butter. Depending on the amount of THC, it may have a slight earthy flavor of marijuana. All containing THC. This is considered a medication now. How strong is this stuff, Sam? Um, like if someone ate one cookie, would you feel it? Yes. Yes, you would. What if you ate two cookies? Well, you can eat four cookies. You can eat six cookies. I mean, what's the, you're going to end up falling asleep. You can't OD from it. It's impossible. You're not going to die from it. That's not going to happen. Welcome back. You're listening to CHRW 94.9 FM, where we have just learned from Paul McKeever, who called in while we were in our break, that at this very moment, Mark Emery is in a paddy wagon on his way to the United States from Canada. Talk about timing. That's right. His Facebook page was apparently just updated six minutes ago or eight minutes ago uh, to indicate that he's on his way to the States. It's a sad day for Canada. And for the United States as well, I'm sad to yes, say. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that, uh, well, that it should be happening that way. You can see why Mark is 
the subject he is and the interest he is to the DEA. Mark is notorious. That's the dirty word for any government official, as I learned in the Elijah Ilyev case, remember? Mm -hmm. As soon as somebody gets notorious, government officials... Notorious means publicly recognizable, publicly identifiable with something. Even if you didn't create the notoriety yourself, you're still responsible for your own notoriety. That's one thing I've learned in law. And I don't think it's correct, but uh, correct stance, but that's how it seems to be. So Mark became notorious, and that's what really got him into the interest of the DEA. Did you, did you happen to see that National Geographic special at all? Actually, I just watched it last night, yes. Wasn't it amazing how yellow that butter was? It looked just like butter. It looked I like believe butter it on your shelf. I, could, I, <laughs> I couldn't I, believe it was butter. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it's butter. Da, 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 you know? But it was really, I, I was amazed at that. And... Um, and certainly it was a well-organized, that was a legal grow-up that was yes, there. Right. And you can imagine the United States is not too happy about that. We have a conservative government in power now, and of course um, they're going completely backwards in terms of where normal, rational approach on this drug issue. Interesting, a fellow named Evan Wood, who is the director of Urban Health Research Initiative, research scientist at the British Columbia Center for Excellence in HIV and AIDS, an associate professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of British Columbia basically says the conservatives should get weak on drugs. And, um, you know, he quotes a 1991 lecture called The Drug War is a Socialist Enterprise by conservative economist and Nobel Prize winner Milton Friedman, who wrote, quote, There are some general features of a socialist enterprise, whether it's the post office, schools, or the war on drugs. The enterprise is inefficient, expensive, very advantageous to a small group of people, and harmful to a lot of people. <laughs> End quote. America spent $2.5 trillion in the war on drugs, and drugs are more freely and easily, easily available today than any other time in North American history. Didn't get into taking that out of that um, clip, but boy, that, that uh, National Geographic special really showed a lot of how, what's going on in California, in England, uh, all around the world. Uh, every country seems to have someone similar to the Mark Emery role, but not quite as notorious. Yes. And um, <coughs> so finally, I, I love this last quote he takes from Professor Friedman, uh, quote, if you look at the drug war from a purely economic point of view, the role of the government is to protect the drug cartel. Bingo, right on. That's it. That's what it's all about. That's why I don't think, and, and he advises at the end, by the way, um, Evan Wood, the writer, conservatives should look at this ongoing legacy in light of their traditional commitment to stronger families, economies, societies, and act accordingly. Again, that's just an article that talks about the foolishness of drug prohibition in and of itself. But if there's one thing that's for sure, if, if, if Mark Emery's the guy who's behind uh, the overgrow the government plot, boy, has he been successful. He has, indeed. In yeah. that thing, although even if it wasn't him, he can take credit for it, right? Um, I'm watching this, uh, this film, I had no idea. You know, you might think that, well, a certain state might, might supply the marijuana product for the whole country or something. I doubt if each state keeps up with its own demand. Florida has the same problem. All of them have incredible grow-up problems in, in terms of houses and homes being ruined over this. Um, the, the latest thing, too, is pots being grown on public land, and people are guarding it with guns, and there's shootouts going on. You don't want this stuff going on. It's and only because it's illegal. Of course. And again, the biggest problem is in California, which is why California is on the precipice of considering legalizing this drug. And it was just amazing how people could go in and get a license to get this drug. One guy claiming his little pinky had a log fall on it 35 years ago. It still 
still hurts him today, so he's going to get his <laughs> license. I thought that was kind of funny. So basically, they give it to anybody who asks. Yeah. And uh, um, it, it, and there are people in in the, in the positions there in those. Um, I don't know whether to say they're legal or not, because the state legalizes it, but the federal government does not. There's the conundrum right there in the dilemma. And and there was this terrible case just a few years ago, that poor fellow who got locked away for 20 years for growing pot in California. Legally. The jury in his case was not allowed to know he was working for the federal, or for the, yeah. uh, the state government, rather. Yeah. And when CNN did a big thing on it, and everybody was outraged, if I had known he was working for the government, well, hello, what... How evil can a law get if that's the kind? If that's how far you have to go to push it, you yeah, know. I have, I have a letter here, Bob, yeah. from uh, NDP MP Libby Davies, and he wrote to Public Safety Minister, and I think that's an appropriate minister to write to Public Safety Minister Vic Taves, and he said, "Dear Mr. Taves, I write to ask that you stop the extradition of Mark Emery to the United States and allow him to serve his prison sentence in Canada. Your government took a rare and unnecessary step today. That was when they extradited him." Mm-hmm. By extraditing a Canadian citizen to serve a prison sentence in America for actions that are not worthy of prosecution under Canadian laws. Further to this uneven approach, it is my understanding that American officials were amiable to Mr. Emery serving his sentence in Canada, yet your government had refused to cooperate. I therefore urge you to act in the best interest of this Canadian citizen and in the interest of Canadian sovereignty and allow Mr. Emery to serve his sentence in Canada. Now, of course, that didn't happen, and today Merrick is on his way to the U.S., to serve his uh, sentence, and I think it only goes to show that even though the Americans themselves said, hey, you can, you can serve it in Canada if you want, you know, it doesn't really matter to us, that the Conservative government is the enemy of the people in Canada, and they're an enemy of Canadian sovereignty, and I think that the campaigns that are going to happen in the future against Conservatives and conservatism in this country are going to be ongoing and hopefully effective. You know, they keep shooting themselves in the foot with those social issues, don't they? It's the social conservatives that's really the problem. And And I think that... um, You know, there's a big difference between saying drugs are bad and putting people in jail for using them. Both Both statements may have validity. You know, you know, like in 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 a sense of saying that drugs are bad, but leave people alone, let them let them use them. They'll pay the consequences. Right now, uh, unless somebody gets the impression out there that I'm picking on the conservatives, I'll pick on all three parties. By the way, right. as a matter of fact, in the future we will pick on all three parties. It should be noted too that um, that in terms of the policy of m- minimal um, sentencing, the Liberals supported that as well. That's true, completely. Yeah. So uh, we'll leave Mark Emery for now. Uh, my thoughts are with him, and I hope he gets to come back to Canada soon. And uh, But I don't think you're going to hear the end of this one. Let me tell you, I can already tell by some of the things that are going on, just in terms of the protests that will be starting. And I think Mark does not have exactly the type of followers that we heard in the Monty Python clip this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might be a little bit more active than that particular group I was. Hope so. Anyway, after this, we're going to turn back to a seemingly lighter issue, but it has its serious uh, side, too, and that's something we brought up on the show last week uh, that probably surprised a few of us, or a few of you, uh, who listen to the show regularly, and that is the issue of uh, UFOs and aliens visiting the planet. We'll be back after this break. Federal and state laws force the casual and habitual pot user alike to be careful. Depending on the circumstances and where one is caught with marijuana, one could receive a slap on the wrist or serious jail time. In Canada, it is illegal too, but the laws are less stringently enforced. 
Here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Mark Emery is creating his vision of a pot lover's utopia, a place wholly devoted to a pot-smoking way of life, and something he'd like to see worldwide. The selection is really increased here. According to the UN, Canada has the highest number of pot smokers in the industrialized world, and Vancouver is the center. Anybody can come here, and yet people love to do that. They had the hippie cafe, but then the cops came and said, you can't do this anymore, and it just was over, right? I realized that what's happened... Does like that trip you out, how much he's talking here now? I'm from somewhere else. I'm from no? London, Ontario. Cool. <laughs> Downstairs in Emery's cannabis empire is Pot TV. A website devoted to marijuana growers, users, and activists. The magazine Cannabis Culture, with a monthly circulation of 40,000 strong, is his flagship. Oh, okay, good. Uh, okay, great. So the glossy magazine promotes what is close to Emery's heart. Beautiful buds and beautiful women. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like the highest level of highness, what are you today? Oh, I'm at 6. Since biblical times, man has witnessed and recorded strange manifestations in the sky and speculated on the possibilities of visitors from another world. Today, from the skies of California, the fields of Kansas, the rice paddies of the Orient, the air lanes of the world, come persistent reports of UFOs, unidentified flying objects which we have come to know as flying saucers. In Dayton, Ohio, the Air Intelligence Command gathers and sifts data from all quarters of the globe. 97% of the objects prove on investigation to be of natural origin, but 3% still are listed as unknown. The Air Force is aware of the widely held belief that some of these could be flying saucers from another planet. While there is nothing conclusive in the evidence, the probing and digesting of information about UFOs continues unceasingly. As a result, headquarters of the Hemispheric Defense Command in Colorado Springs issued an order. All military installations are to fire on site at any flying objects not identifiable. But even as they did so, the military wondered whether their scientific know-how and their best weapons would be effective in any battle of the Earth versus the flying saucers. And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can call at 519-661-3600 to join in the conversation. Now, I know last week um, we had a number of callers we actually couldn't get to because we had uh, time constraints for the material we wanted to cover. But for the last half hour, if you want to call in, especially about this topic on UFOs, please do. Um, now, last week I said to Bob, 
to the the audience there that I won't talk about this topic again. Mm -hmm. It sounds silly. It sounds, what can you do with it, right? But we've had some interesting responses and reactions from uh, our friends in the public uh, about the topic, and I thought it actually no, Nobody thought it. we were crazy, though. No. Um, one person thought I, that I came to the wrong conclusion. Uh, another person found the show very entertaining and was surprised at our conclusion, as were both of us, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and um, basically, the rest, I never got a negative in, the, in any other kind of way, and no major response. And today, when I drove in, uh, Jim, at the, uh, <laughs> at the parking lot there, he says... Fred. I, you know, I told, told him what we were doing, he says, yeah, I believe in flying saucers and UFOs. He says, hey, if we're going out there, something's got to be coming this way. <laughs> that was his whole logic, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, some interesting responses out there. I've had a, one co-worker came up to me and, and, and recounted his uh, sighting over Lake Erie back in, he actually remembers, in September 1979, and he gave me the details, and it was quite a, an interesting sighting. It sounded very much like the one that I had several mm -hmm. years ago. And um, so that's one reason to bring it back. Another was, of course, um, our mutual friend Gord uh, basically talked about um, how we should have employed Occam's razor to uh, come to the conclusion that um, the simplest explanation is that they're man-made, you know, or a natural phenomenon or something like that, not to uh, create a complexity where it's not warranted. And we'll get into that a little later. And, of course, the other um, reason I wanted to bring this back was I've, I've done a little bit more research about the Disclosure Project I mentioned last week, and they have a number of recommendations, which I think could actually be quite, quite beneficial, regardless of where you stand on the issue, whether or not you believe um, UFOs are from an extraterrestrial origin or not. Yeah, I should make clear that at the end of the last show, we did say we arrived, we, had, we, we, could, we didn't prove anything no, of course in, not. in that sense. But we did arrive at our conclusions not just based on what you heard on the show last week. We, there was a lot of information we left out. Yes. For example, we didn't even talk about the astronauts yep. and all the statements from the astronauts. Edgar Mitchell, astronaut, six and, men on the moon. And, yeah. and all of that stuff, which are quite amazing. And uh, now you're going to tell us a bit about this disclosure project. Right. Um, but before I do that, I just wanted to actually... Uh, mm -hmm. I'm very reluctant to, to admit this, but last night, it was a beautiful, clear night. And as I said before in the last show, I'm a bit of a backyard astronomer. I went out and I looked up because I knew it was going to be a nice, clear night, beautiful blue sky during the day, and it seemed to be nice and uh, clear last night. I went out at um, 11.30, uh, looked up at the sky, and um, after my eyes became a little accustomed to it, I noticed a satellite, which I noticed lots of them, of course. Anybody can recognize a satellite. Uh, that's how clear it was last night. And then I saw a nice shooting star, and then I saw a UFO. <laughs> and I, I am not kidding you. Uh, now, of course, Occam's razor would say that uh, the simplest explanation would be that I'm hallucinating, that I'm primed to watch or to see something like that because I've been doing some reading on it and I go out there and I haven't seen one in about 10 years and I go out and just before this show comes on, I see one. And that was my biggest stumbling block. I was saying, should I mention this? Should I? <laughs> this is absolutely bizarre. But last night I saw one. I'm not going to describe it to you. I can describe some things to you. Um, why, why, why wouldn't you describe Well, I'll get it. to that. Yeah, I saw it um, at precisely 11.35 last night. Give or take a minute. Um, because I looked at the clock. And um, I saw an object going from the south to the north in a direct line. 
in what could have been a very fast traject- uh, a very fast vector because it depends on how far away it is. If it's close to you, it could have been a small object moving fairly slowly. If it's um, very far away from me, it could have been a very large object moving very fast. It's very difficult to tell. So I couldn't really tell you how fast it was going other than the fact that it covered a third of the sky in about three seconds. And that to me, I mean, it, given a, and it, by the way, it made no sound whatsoever. I just happened to be staring directly into that. But it just moved in a straight line. It moved in a straight line. It, it wasn't sounds a, like a shooting star. It wasn't it? a parabola. I've seen lots of shooting stars and it wasn't a shooting star. And actually it had a shape and um, coloration, uh, not coloration, had, um, uh, it was lit. It had a shape to it, an interesting shape. It didn't look like anything that I could say would be man-made, though, of course, I haven't seen everything man-made, so, uh, you know, I would still say that it could be man-made. I'm not sure. Uh, Certainly not of a natural um, origin. And I just wondered if there's anybody out there who happened to be looking in the skies last night at 11.35 if they saw anything, and then perhaps we can compare notes. If not, then I actually intend to call up um, the airport the London airport, because it just occurred to me this morning, hey, hey, we're in controlled airspace here. (laughs) There's a radome out there that's Mm -hmm. always taking um, uh, measurements of the sky and and radar um, for the last, you know, for 25 miles out. Now, I intend to call them and see whether or not there was anything actually on the radar last night, because at this time, I know the exact time, I know the direction, I don't know the height, and um, can only speculate at the speed, but I just found it very interesting that when you look up at the night sky, perhaps there's a lot more out there than, you know, people think. It's true. Most of us, you know, being in the television world, too, we're more indoors. And even when we look at the sky, we look at the sky on TV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you actually have to be yeah. somewhat, like I say before, I, I'm a bit of a, an astronomer uh, of an amateur nature. And I go out there and, and even as a pilot, uh, pilots are, are, are trained not to, uh, to scan the sky. You don't just move your head and just go from left to right. You actually have to stop, look, move, stop, look, move. If you want to see any moving objects in the sky, it actually can be very difficult to see anything in the sky at mm-hmm. night. So um, just wondering if anybody out there saw something, 1130, um, over in the direction of the airport going from south to north. Um, it had a very distinctive particular shape that I can perhaps talk about. Uh, either on our website or maybe a, a future show. But just a curiosity, if anybody saw that, just call and let me know. Okay, well, maybe we should take a quick break now. And then when we come back, we'll wrap up with your arguments here on the Disclosure Project. Okay. Okay, right after this. Do you hear something? Hear what? I don't hear. Listen. It was a saucer. A flying saucer? Well, we saw what appeared to be a flying saucer. That's all we can say. We saw it. We heard it, both of us. What more do we need to know? Well, we have to have time to think, to evaluate this before we sound off. Of course, it wasn't a saucer at all. I just shake like this all the time.
Don Schmidt, co-author of the UFO crash at Roswell, along with Kevin Randall, is likewise convinced that the crashed object was a craft from space. We have over 500 witnesses testifying through sworn affidavit or video deposition that what was recovered out here at this site and at the debris field site just 40 miles from here was not manufactured on this earth. Walter Hott was stationed in Roswell in 1947. As the public information officer of the 509th, it was he who issued the now famous press release. I got the information from uh, Colonel Blanchard. There had been uh, a number of newspaper and radio reports on flying saucers, and it really didn't upset me that much. I know uh, if the boss man said that we had a flying saucer in our possession, we had one, and that was it. I was just told to put out a press release. Later that day, Hart remembers, the official story changed. They said it was a weather balloon, and that's it. You know, there's an example, Robert, of how people accept official declarations just, yes. just straight on. You know, well, they told me it was a flying saucer, then it was. Oh, they, they told, told me, me it was a weather balloon. Then it wasn't. <laughs> 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 the Disclosure Project was a project brought out about uh, back in 2001 that... Uh, I don't know if it gained much public attention or not, because I haven't heard it until just recently, but they had a number of suggestions, concrete suggestions about what the public can do, the press, Congress, military, scientific community, and the president, of course, is an American publication, um, what they can do to investigate these phenomena. And if you go to their website, just, just Google uh, the Disclosure Project, you'll find it, no problem. They have a 500-page document there, and just to summarize their actions, uh, they are recommending that people take is, first of all, for the press, is don't dismiss these things and don't make them silly. Don't make them cliches. Don't call them little green men and use really strange headlines to, you know... Like to we just did, huh? Essentially, <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't do that. To make it uh, entertaining. You know, because this can be very serious stuff. I mean, just just think about the implications if it's actually true that these are ETs. You know, just think about it. That could be very profound. So to trivialize it, we just got to get over that. For the public, they recommend they just open their minds to the possibilities. That's not a hard thing, I hope, for well, a lot of people Well, that was part of do. our main theme last week as well. It wasn't so much that you had to believe or not believe. Yeah. The, uh, you know, Christopher Essex brought this up, too, when he was on the show a few weeks ago. He says, listen, there's a, a strange belief among the public that, that there's nothing new to learn, nothing new to discover, mm. that we kind of know it all. All we got to do now is apply it differently and have yeah. different aspect, you know, um, applications to our discoveries. But I think there's still a lot new to, to learn to learn and discover oh, for sure. that we know nothing about yet in this universe. The, uh, the Disclosure Project is also asking Congress and the President to convene hearings to um, allow people to come forward without being ridiculed or actually uh, breaching any sort of confidentiality agreements down in the states that may have been entered into illegally. And a very important one I found is that recommended military actions. Stop shooting the things. <laughs> I, I noticed that even in that clip, you know, the, we have orders to shoot right off the bat, you know? Yeah, and that's, oh, that's actually... That's, well, yeah. hello, is that, what, is that how we're going to be greeted if oh. we go to another planet? <laughs> oh, that's just great, yeah. Shoot yeah. first, ask questions There's later. actually a lot of uh, testimony given about um, aliens uh, or 
craft being shot at or actually aliens who have crashed getting out of their aircraft for example at fort dix in the states there's one recount of uh, of a sergeant in the military saying that he was there uh, when this thing crashed and he investigated it looked inside saw aliens saw an alien get shot saw an alien die um, he's he's actually um, well if you believe this story he's actually um, counted 57 different types of alien life forms that they have down in the states have recovered. That's a you know people who hear that go, that's that's an awfully big secret to keep. It is as a matter of fact it's not kept. That's what, that's the whole point <laughs> that, is you have hundreds of people out there testifying <laughs> that we've seen these things and nobody yeah. seems to care because there's no official announcement. And yeah. That's the whole issue. It's it's like that announcer. Okay, if the if the if the air force comes out and says okay we do have them okay. Yep, fine. Yeah. The Air Force has come out and said, but yeah, until yesterday, <laughs> well, I'm going, well, how's your mind working if that's how you can click it on and off? Yeah. <laughs> you know, either way, it might be unbelievable. You know, part of being unbelievable is what uh, our mutual friend Gord has uh, said to use. Is why don't you just use Occam's razor or the law of parsimony to... Which basically is, um, law, Occam's razor is entities must not be multiplied beyond necessity. Or, to put it simply, the simplest solution is usually the correct one. Now, I usually apply that in almost everything I do. As do I. You're right. Um, there's no need to be complex. For example, I use it in religion. You know, um, why invent a god if we can explain most everything else scientifically? Why create something so strange as a god to, you know, to explain the universe? That's Occam's razor I use, you know. Mm -hmm. But, now, I think that what Gord has to do is, is just think that um, in the scientific method, parsimony is an epistemological, metaphysical, or heuristic preference, not an irrefutable principle of logic, and certainly not a, a scientific result. Now, I'm going to reread some stuff I found on the Internet on Occam's razor here. Mm -hmm. As a logical pr uh, principle, Occam's razor would demand that scientists accept the simplest possible theoretical explanation for existing data. However, science has shown repeatedly that future data often supports more complex theories than existing data. When scientists use the idea of parsimony, it only has meaning in a very specific context of inquiry. A number of background assumptions are required for parsimony to connect with plausibility in a particular research problem. The responsibleness of, the, sorry, the reasonableness of parsimony in one research context may have nothing to do with its reasonableness in another. It's a mistake to think that there is a single global principle that spans diverse subject matter. As a meter, uh, methodological principle, the demand for simplicity suggested by Occam's razor cannot be generally sustained. Occam's razor cannot help toward a rational decision between competing explanations of the same empirical facts. One problem in formulating an explicit general principle is that complexity and simplicity are perspective notions whose meaning depends on the context of application and the user's prior understanding. In the absence of an objective criterion for simplicity and complexity, Occam's razor itself does not support an objective epistemology. In other words, what's simple to you mm -hmm. may be complex to another person. Sure. It is a very subjective way of looking at the world to say that, oh, well, it must be a weather balloon. Because we grew up in a society you know, where weather balloons e exist. Even among people who believe in space aliens, there are certain assumptions made that I don't know that are correct. A lot of them, <laughs> one of the biggies, I think, is that, oh, well, since they're flying around in space, they must be more intelligent than we are. And my first question was, well, who says they're smarter than humans? Technological advancement doesn't indicate superior intelligence. 
I mean, if that's the case, that therefore we in the West are su intelligently superior to people in other countries where they don't have technology. Yeah, you might think that, well, it took us maybe a few hundred years to develop our technology. What if it took a million years for these other uh, aliens to it, develop their technology? It, They're pretty could, stupid that way. It could be exactly <laughs> that. You know, some very dumb people have made amazing scientific discoveries simply because they're following the rules of objective scientific discipline. And then they arrive at a conclusion just because they're following the path that they know they have to follow. You don't, have, you don't have to be a genius to arrive at a lot of these conclusions if you're just disciplining yourself to the discipline. I think that's why they call it a discipline, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that just because there are, there might be other life out there that it's more intelligent than we are. In fact, I'm beginning to think that perhaps what we call human or the human form of life may be the highest form of int intelligence in the universe. It it's could be. Uh, we have no evidence of anything different, certainly in that regard. No. Uh, you know, just to conclude on the Occam's razor, you know, on many occasions, Occam's razor has stifled or delayed scientific process. And I'm still reading here from the mm -hmm. internet. Uh, if you want to find out more about this, this particular article was in Wikipedia. It's very interesting. It's got a lot of different sources on it. For, you know, for example, it gives um, appeals to simplicity were used to deny the phenomena of meteorites, ball lightning, continental drift, and reverse transcript days. It originally rejected DNA as the carrier of genetic information in favor of proteins, since proteins provided the simpler explanation. It's, that's wrong. You know, Occam's razor mm. is wrong in this point. Theories that reach far beyond the available data are rare, but general relativity provides one example. And Max Planck is another example of... Um, uh, interpolating data between the uh, the Veen and the Gene's radiation laws used on, on Occam's razor logic to formulate the quantum hypothesis. And uh, even resisting that hypothesis, Matt Planck actually resisted hypothesis for years as it became more obvious that it was correct. So it stultifies, or stultifies rather, the scientific thought and, and, and inquiry when you just go, oh, just use Occam's razor. They're man-made, or they're natural. Yeah, if you use it as a matter of faith. Yeah, that becomes <laughs> a matter exactly of faith. What it's a somewhat of a subjective matter of faith. So, um, And what, not only that, just think of this. There's tens of thousands of these sightings all the time. I had one last night. What if only one of them proved to be of an ET origin? First of all, that would disprove Occam's razor right there. And secondly, just think of the profound implications for us to think that we're no longer alone. We live in a community. Not to think it. I think a lot community. of us are already are doing that, but to know it. That's right. That's the difference. Yeah. So, um, am I a kook? No. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But um, Are you hallucinating? Well, maybe too. And I'd like to say at the end of this show that I'll never bring this topic up again, but, but who knows. <laughs> no, don't ever, don't ever make predictions. I learned that one on the first show here. When I predicted a television show I thought would do well. It bombed the week after. <laughs> firefly? <laughs> no, but, but, but a Firefly-related show. You got that okay. right. Well, anyway, if anybody out there has any particular interesting UFO observations that they'd like to share with us, if they, they want to um, email us, they can do that at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Uh, we'd be happy to look at those and uh, uh, even perhaps comment on a future show. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Well, we didn't get we didn't get the callers that wanted to call in last week, so maybe we covered the territory that they wanted to Hello. have have covered. I guess that's it for this week. Um, just before we go, we just want to make mention of um, our previous spoken word director and off and on air operator Bronwyn Loden is leaving us now. Yes, and she's going over to Vancouver for the summer and then back to Australia later. And we're now having our show uh, operated by Ashley. Hello, Ashley. How you doing? Ashley Bushfield. Ashley Bushfield, and uh, I guess you're going to be with us for a while, are you? 
Has it been fun so far? She says yes. Thumbs well, up. I guess we got to go anyway. <laughs> Show's over for this week, and we'll catch you next week. You know what to do. Next week, join us again as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, act right, do right, stay right, and think right, and be right back here. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Hi, I'm Mark Emery, the Prince of Pot, and you're listening to 94.9 CHRW. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you. That's excellent. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Lucas.